Listen, when, when you're in a crisis, you can relate to how a boxer feels when he's getting battered. Sometimes a crisis feels like you're, like it's beating you, it's punching you, and pummeling you from every angle. You can't even see where the next punch is coming from, but sure enough it comes. You're overwhelmed and you're overmatched. But the problem is that it seems like the referee is not stopping the match. You're trapped in the crisis, but the whistle doesn't come. That is how it feels like to be overwhelmed by a crisis situation. See, on the other hand, revival, at the heart of it, is the return of God to his people. Where his manifest presence is experienced. Where you experience the reality of God. Where God is no longer a theology, a theory, a concept that we believe in but are someone who seems to be so far away and we're so far apart from. A revival is really where God manifests his presence and we experience his presence. And oftentimes, when there's a crisis, there's a cry for revival. It's almost like crisis is setting the stage for a revival. And say so if you need a revival sometimes. You probably need. A crisis situation. In your life. Or around you. So if you are in a crisis right now. Look out. Because it's time to cry out. For revival. So the goal of this message. On, on a crisis. That Christ for revival. Is so that we can learn. That we need to turn to the Lord. When a crisis hits. Praise him as he takes care of the problems for us. And be reminded of God's constant faithfulness no matter the circumstances. God is God regardless of what circumstances are. And many people ask in a crisis, how can a good God do this? How can a good God allow this? We hope that today... By the Spirit of God, we can answer this question. This message would also serve to help to encourage you, encourage those who are either in a crisis, you're coming out of a crisis, or you're heading into the next crisis. And if you think you're far away from crisis, you might want to listen up. This message would also provide a needed reminder that one of the worst things we can do is pray. And yet, have God not hear us. Not because he doesn't want to hear or can't hear, but because we're not adjusting to him. We're going to talk about that because some of us want to pray in such a way that God adjusts to our plans. Instead of pray that we become adjustable to God's plan. So a crisis is something every one of us has gone through to some degree, probably at multiple points. Maybe you're not in a crisis now, but I'm in a crisis. I'm telling you. Because there are different kinds of crises. Meaning if you feel like you need some more money, you're in a financial crisis. Uh, maybe you're having marital issues, that's a financial crisis, a marital crisis. Maybe having some issues at the workplace. Uh, you, you want something to change, but you don't have the power to change it. You wish it to be different, and no matter what you try, it remains the same. That's a crisis. You see, the world panics and doesn't know what to do when a crisis hits. When they are faced with overwhelming obstacles. People don't know what to do. Many people today around us, they just don't know what to do. With all that is happening, what do I do next? But Christians should be different in our response to a crisis. You see, it, it, it is intimidating to stare your opposition down and, and, and see that they are more formidable than you. See, you're probably not facing down a crisis of military proportions as Jehoshaphat was. But perhaps 
you feel that you're surrounded on all sides by those who seek to harm you. For the scripture says there was a great multitude coming up against him. Do you feel like I have a great multitude of problems? It may not be a great multitude. If you go back to the text, it says um, like the, the Moabites and the Ammonites the, and, and the Midianites, they, they came to war against Jehoshaphat. The scripture said, a great multitude is coming against you. More than you, can, more than you can manage. More stuff. You know, stuff coming from the left and they're coming from the right. They're coming from uh, your spiritual life, your, your marital life, your financial life. Your just, just stuff just keep coming at you. All kind of stuff coming at you. You try to block some here, bam, you're hit over here. You put up barriers here and they are pro from that side. Everywhere you look, you're surrounded by the enemy. A great multitude is coming. You have almost certainly been at that point where you feel like your life is breaking down all around you. What do I do next? It is in situations like this that we desperately need the intervention and revival of the Lord. It is when all these things are happening, we need to stop and say, God of revival, pour it out. God, we need divine intervention. We need revival. Something needs to change and I can't do it because too much is happening. I can't fix it all. But I know something needs to be fixed. So in this passage, we see King Jehoshaphat in a tough situation that he knows is well beyond him and his own abilities. We see him have a conversation with God and cry out to the only one who can save a king or a kingdom. Before anything can be corrected, there needed to be some changes and people needed to turn back to the Lord. And so if you read in chapter 19, we're going to get into that. There are certain things that Jehoshaphat needed to do. In fact, if you look in your Bibles in chapter 19, it says the, re the, the reformation of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had to make some changes before he could cry out for a revival. He had to adjust some things. Because God ain't adjusting. As soon as Jehoshaphat called the people to turn to the Lord, we start to see change happening. When the people turned to the Lord, things began to change. Let me say it again. Let me put it this way. Let's put Jamaica in it. When Jamaica turns to God, then things will start to change. Although the times are different and the situations are different, we need to follow the same formula for divine intervention. You see, God is always faithful and always pre present present in our situation. He doesn't require any secret formula or strategy. Just a simple returning to our dependence on him alone. And so perhaps today you're in the middle of a crisis that is crying for a much needed revival. Don't face circumstances on your own. When your God is fully able and fully present with you. He's a present help in times of need. You don't have to do this on your own. God is willing and able to help. A personal crisis calls for action. For something to be done. That something is to turn our lives back where they belong in the first place. In the hands of an almighty God. When the walls are crumbling and the oceans are raging. Turn to the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. What, what do we do now with all that is happening in Jamaica? Turn to the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your gaze on him. You see, we must remember that we are in need of the Lord in our situation. And we must cry out to him and be ready to obey and worship him. Then and only then will our life, our crisis turn into a soul satisfying revival. You, your crisis can turn into a soul satisfying revival. What does all of this mean? That sounds good, pastor. But, but you don't, if you ever knew what is happening, you wouldn't say what you're saying. Well, 
The truth is that when we don't know what to do, it means that we are in a crisis. I don't know what to do anymore. I've tried all that I know. And it hasn't worked. It's just not working. It, I, I try and I try. It's just not working. I even, I, I even create scriptures. God help those who help themselves. And I'm trying to help myself, but it's not working. Of course, you know that that's not in the Bible. So it's not an actual scripture. But we make it our own. Well, what am I doing? I'm just trying because God helped those who help, him, help themselves. God helped those who cannot help themselves. Let me say it again. God don't help those who help themselves. God help those who cannot help themselves. You have to get to a place when you can't help yourself. For God to say, no, you're depending on me. As long as you can do it, you're going to act like you don't need God. God says you need to get to the place where you realize that you can't do this. And then you will remember what the Bible says in Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? If, if, if Lazarus could have helped himself, he would have come out of the tomb. If they could turn water into wine, they would call on Jesus. Until you get to the place where you can't help yourself, you're not going to see the need for God's help. So a crisis when you don't know what to do, that's when you're in a crisis. But a crisis also, it brings fear. When people don't know what to do, they start fearing. Like the worst thing that can happen to people is when they feel like they don't have control. It creates a fear. And it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. That's what it says. Jehoshaphat was afraid. When things are coming in and you don't know what to do, it causes a fear. The scripture said he was afraid. We get afraid when we don't have the ability to fix what we are going through. And one of the worst spirits that can overtake you is the spirit of fear. Because it opens all kinds of doors. So you have to know how to operate in crisis. So you don't uh, uh, have opened the door for the spirit of fear. Which creates a whole other set of problems. And that's why Paul says to Timothy. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Let me help you again. Because fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit. That affects you emotionally. It's not an emotion. It's a spirit that affects you emotionally. So Joseph had a fear. When crisis comes, there's always a sense of powerlessness that accompanies it. The scripture says in verse 12, Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do but our eyes are on you. It's like the man who told his friend, if anything happens today, I will worry about it two weeks from now. In other words, he's saying, now, listen man, I have to put that on my calendar. There's too much happening this, you know, right now. I don't even have time to worry about that. So um, just remind me two weeks from now that I need to worry about it. Because right now I have too much worries. I don't, I don't have time to worry about <laughs> one more thing. You see, crisis serves as a reminder that we are imperfect people. We are powerless. And when, when crisis comes, we realize how imperfect we are. You see, a crisis can be so deep and complicated that it makes us feel that we, we can't take one more thing. This kind of crisis now, it causes us to raise our hands in desperation. In Jamaica, it's a Lord Jesus, what may I go to know? You know that feeling? Like you feel like this is the time to stop, to give up, to throw in the towel, to end it all, to just forget about it, to stop the fight, just, just lie down and die because enough is enough. 
when you get to that place, is when God is saying, no, you're there, you're desperate, cry out for revival. Because when you get to enough, it's the enough. God says, if you cry out, then I will be more than enough. All God does is says, I want you to get to the place where you throw up your hands and say, enough is enough. When you make that cry to me, I become the God who is more than enough for you. But, but you may be wondering, why would God allow crisis? Why would a good God put us through a pandemic for two years? I mean, I've heard people say, listen, all of the good people, them dying. And some of those who die now die from the corona. But, but it's just the good people them dying. Who made you judge of good people? Huh? So, aren't you amazed that all the good people dying and you are still living? What does that say about you? <laughs> H- have you ever asked that question? If all the good people are dying and you are alive. <laughs> Well, how good do you think you are? <laughs> but God allowed crisis in our lives to show us his almighty power. That's a, listen, all of this, listen, at the end of it all, we're going to know and see and experience God's almighty power. You see, God has a purpose for every crisis. God has a purpose for the crisis. The bad news is the crisis. The good news is God allows, God creates, God causes, God endorses overwhelming scenarios in our world so that we can discover him, so that we can know him, so that we can experience him and his manifest presence in a way that we have never done before. Listen, there are some people that because of all that is happening, they have drawn closer to God. They are praying more. Their worship has gone to a higher place. Everything has changed spiritually because somehow this crisis has caused them to be locked in to Jesus. Leaning in on the Holy Spirit ever more than before because they realize that I can't do this on my own. He wants us to move from knowing him to really knowing him. He wants us to move from words to action. He also wants us to remember his faithfulness. So the crisis has a purpose. It's not punishment. It's so that God's almighty power can be seen. So Jehoshaphat was afraid. And turned his attention to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a period of fasting. Man, food wasn't important anymore. The crisis was bad. He said, listen, I mean, I mean, you see most of us who think we have to eat when trouble and problems start taking you, I mean, you fa- the pastor don't have to call fast. Because at that point, food is not important anymore. You realize that, listen, I will do without food because I need Jesus. I need Jesus more than I need food. And even if you're fasting for the wrong reason, because you don't think you need food, you realize that it's beneficial. So he called for for a fast. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. There are other people and other sources, but Jehoshaphat sought the help of the Lord. They... They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. And so again, because, the kingdom, because of how the kingdom was, everybody came together. right? And, and we're going to go into what Jehoshaphat prayed. Because chapter 5, verse 5, really begin to speak about what Jehoshaphat prayed. But if, before you understand what Jehoshaphat prayed, you have to understand what happened earlier in Second Chronicles. In Second Chronicles chapter 6, this is where King Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord and he prayed over the place of worship for God's people. You can go back and read it when you go home. Second Chronicles chapter 6. But in, from verse 34 to 35 of Second Chronicles chapter 6, it says, When your people go out to battle against their enemies, by whatever way you send them, and they pray to you toward the city which you have chosen and the house which you have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer, and they're pleading and maintain their cause. 
You see, the reason why Jehoshaphat prayed in chapter 20 is because he remembered what was promised in chapter 6. He remembered when Solomon dedicated the temple what was declared. So Jehoshaphat said, Oh, God, we need to talk to you about what happened with Solomon. Because there was a promise made and we have some problems. So we need to have a conversation, God with you, based on what happened with Solomon. You see, King Jehoshaphat recalled his, this account, which was an important item. Solomon talked about the Lord going out from this place and fighting the battles for the people. Do you, you realize? So he's, he, remember, armies are coming up against him. And he says, listen, let me, let, let, let me just go back to what God says. God told Solomon he would maintain his cause for his people and it was part of their foundation of the part of the very foundation of the worship of God. So Jehoshaphat knew this, knew this prior and dedication and spoke to the Lord about the same thing on the same terms. So it says when they were being invaded by the enemy it said God would defend them. Once again church it shows us that God will do as he promise. So what Jehoshaphat said, he said and he said, Lord God of our fathers, as are you not God in heaven? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nation? Did you not? Did you not? And he, he said, are you not? Yeah, did you not? Um, power and might. And he says, he, he's asking all of these questions. He goes down to verse 8 and said, they have lived in it and built it, your sanctuary in it for your name's sin. If disaster comes upon us, and he's going through all of this reminding God about what God promised. And when he gets down to verse 10, he says, Now behold, the son of Ammon and Moab. So he's basically saying, Now God have declared who you are. I reminded you of what you've done. Now here is our situation. In other words, he's saying, God, this is what you did in the past. This is who you are. Here is what we are going through right now. What was happening? In all of this, you realize something important. That there is a difference between crisis and non-crisis prior. There is a difference with crisis prior and non-crisis prior. You see, when you have crisis prior, it, it, when you are in problems and you are praying, it's different. You see, one is very general. But one is very specific. You see, a crisis prayer is a desperate cry for help. Don't crisis prayer are just nice words. Hallelujah, thank you Lord for today. Glory, hallelujah. What a beautiful day is it. Lord, I thank you for the beautiful sunshine. Oh, Ocherous Bay Beach is so beautiful, Jesus. Hallelujah. I like the grains of sands out there. I like when I walk on it and the feel on my feet. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> Oh, glory. Church was good this morning. I like those four songs that they did. God just show me where to find them on YouTube. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> when, when, when you're in problems, you don't pray like that. You don't even sound like that. You forget about all your big spiritual scriptures. You say, God, I don't know how I'm going to manage Jesus. Help me, Lord. Listen, you, you don't remember your, you, you don't remember scriptures to quote. You just know that, listen, I'm going to be real now and tell God what I'm going to Yeah, that's a God. But I'm going to tell you things now work out right. God, God, I'm going to tell you the people, now treat me bad. God, you can't. God, do me a, God, me a, God, come true for me, Jesus. Come true for me. God, things don't look good at all. I mean, all standard English gone. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened with Joseph. They were in a crisis. That's what it does. And maybe God is putting us through some of these things so that we can pray prayers of desperation. If I hear how David prayed, Sometimes you read some of David pray, you wonder if them things should be in the Bible. Because <laughs> when David prayed about him, enemies, they were closing in on him. And he said, God, deliver me from my enemy. Like David who said to them, God, if them come near me, brought them next Jesus. 
Like, are you thinking, what kind of prayer is this? When you read some of David's prayer, you wonder if this, like, but here's the thing. If you understand what David was going through, then you'd better understand the desperate prayer that he prayed in the situation. He says, when my heart is overwhelmed, God lead me to the rock. But, but before we, we get deep into the prayer, let me explain something to you as well. Now, there, there's a very important thing we need to see before we get to this. You see, because God recognizes our imperfections, but he doesn't excuse our imperfections. He recognizes, remember I said that crisis shows us that we are imperfect people. God recognizes our imperfections, but he doesn't excuse our imperfection. You see, he's a God of great mercy. He has great mercy upon his people. And he will relent if we simply remove our idols and worship him. Now, if you, if you go to chapter 18, we're not going to go there for the sake of time. Jehoshaphat had made covenant with some wicked people. In chapter 18 of Second Chronicles. In chapter 19, let, 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 let's, let's, let me just look at that for you. Chapter 19, it says, verse 1 says, Then Jehoshaphat the king of Judah returned safely to the house in Jerusalem. And Jehu the son of Hananiah the seer went out to meet him and said to, the king, to king Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because he had made covenant with some people. Alright? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Watch this, watch this. This is very important. Underline this in your Bible. Verse 3 says, Nevertheless, good things are found in you. Watch this, watch this, watch this. So, so, hey, you have some imperfections, but good things are in you. God would have destroyed you because you made some wicked covenants to hurt God's people. You partnered with some evil people to destroy God's people. And God was supposed to destroy you. But the word said, nevertheless, good things are found in you. In that you have removed the wooden images from the land. And have prepared your heart to seek God. So he reformed. The scripture said, listen, God should have poured out his wrath on you. But here's what happened. You're a good youth. And you remove the idols. And you decide after what you did, that you're going to seek the Lord. If you read the rest of chapter 19, you begin to see all the changes that Jehoshaphat started making. And so that is why he comes. It's amazing that all, he's making all of these changes for the Lord. And that was when the enemy started coming at him. Remember, he partnered with the enemies to destroy God's people. He reforms. And watch this. Start doing God's work. And then the same enemy came and attacked him. That's how we get to chapter 20. Right? The truth is that God has every right and ability to bring down wrath, but often does not. Because God says, nevertheless, you did some bad things last week, but nevertheless, you have a look good in you. You know, it's the last month you never done move, right? You partner with the evil and you did some evil stuff. But nevertheless, you have some good in you. And he relents. But I love how Jehoshaphat moves after this talk with Jehu. The scripture says he began to change, not God. It means that we must adjust to God for him to respond. Because remember, God is going to respond to a prayer, but Jehoshaphat had to adjust to God. It is not God who must adjust. We are the ones who must align with him. Because God will not hear or respond if he is overshadowed by idolatry. These things had to be removed. Because it is essential that we recognize his sovereignty and his rule. That he's a ruler over kings and kingdoms.
Amen. So I love, I love Jehoshaphat's prayer. As he begins to pray and he gets down into it, he's reminding God of some of the things that he, he did in the past, you know, and how God operated. He said, God has promised certain things to us. Therefore, it is important to recall God's goodness, even in tough circumstances. Remember God's goodness. Lord, I remember what you did for Moses. God, I remember what you did for David. Listen, listen, remember God, God is not changing. God is unchanging. In other words, if God did it back then, God can do it right now. In fact, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the age has come. So in Josephus' prayer, he goes to God's person. He begins his prayer and says, Lord God of our Father, are you not God in heaven? Are you not ruler over all the, the kingdoms of heaven? So he remembers God's person. He talks about God's history and he also prays about God's word. Then Jehoshaphat, the scripture said, stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, in the front of the new courtyard. Man is in the church of in crisis. See that you're not exempt. In the church. Are you not God in heaven? Are you not God in heaven? Are you not ruler of all the kingdoms of the nation? Power and might are in your hand. So that no one can stand against you. Simply put, listen. Heaven is greater than earth. So here's the truth. As long as God is God in heaven, he has the final say. So, Jehoshaphat begins with theological truth. He's saying that, God, aren't you God in heaven? Because now if you're God in heaven, you're in control. You're sovereign. You're Lord. You're ruler. Aren't you God in heaven? In other words, our crisis is not the final word. Your circumstances, it not it's not the final word it looks like the final word because we are overwhelmed it feels like the final word because we are afraid but it is not the final word the god of heaven has the final say in your situation in other words jehoshaphat had certain feelings but he never let feelings sit in judgment over his faith in other words, God, I believe you are God of heaven. Regardless of how I feel. Feelings don't sink. They just feel. You can't live on your feelings. Regardless of what you feel. He is God in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. So nothing on earth can rule over him. That's how he begins his prayer. Let me establish this. God, I'm talking to your God of heaven. So everything in earth, stay silent now. Because the big boss is about to talk. The one with the final say is going to give the final verdict. I, I, I don't feel good. It don't look good. But the final verdict is about to be read from the one in heaven. Not what's happening on earth. So you must always let your faith sit in judgment over your feelings. Regardless of how you feel, believe what you know about God. How do I know that God is holy and unchanging God? And we, we, we need to remember that God never fails or he never falters. Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. No one can stand against him. He never falters. He never changes. We need to understand that nothing constitutes a crisis for God. See what we call crisis? <laughs> is, is nothing to God. We, we think, listen, we think like what we are going to is a big deal. That's nothing. And that's why Job had to have had to have a, a reality check. Where were you? You're talking about all that you're going through. 
You know who you're talking to? This is the God in heaven. Where were you when I was putting every single star in their position? Where were you when I was telling the ocean not to come any further? Where were you? You, you, you understand me? Where were you? Where were you? You think you're going through any stuff when, when God sees it? In, in fact, Corinthians says this. The things that we are going through, they are temporary. There's a greater... In fact, Paul says they are light afflictions. What we think is a big deal, the scripture says, light afflictions. When I consider what Paul went through, you know what we are going through? We're not going through affliction, it's just light. I, I, I don't want to put... What, anytime you're going through stuff, read what Paul goes through. Because Paul called what he went through light affliction. I don't think I've gone through some of what Paul went through. So I, I, I'm still at L-I. I, I don't even reach it G-H-T yet. We, we ain't going through nothing. You think Paul could sit down with his congregation like this? Paul says, listen, I know that beating and persecution and all of these things await me in Jerusalem. But you know what? I'm still going. They're going to beat me. They're going to put me in prison. But I am bound to go to Jerusalem to do the work of the Lord. Can you imagine? Somebody call you when you're supposed to go down to one of the inner city communities to work and say, hey, when you go down there, let me tell you, I confirmed with the two prophets until the last week. They will go all you see. Show you another one look and they will give you some lick down at that. Boy, I can preach gospel. I'll strip you naked and send you back to your yard. Listen, you can't go and talk about still going. You only send that because you're in church. You wait till you go outside. It's a different answer you probably go have. You ain't going nowhere. When you start thinking about your son or your daughter, your husband, and then look how money where you are, see your whole life in a bank, you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Say, you wait, let me build up and muster up a little faith, and by the time time passes, you forget about it. Paul, without hesitation, went. So sometimes we, we act like we are going through some major stuff, as if this stuff is big, like our God, are bigger than our God. Light affliction. So nothing constitutes a crisis for God. If God has been good in the past, he will continue to be good in the present crisis. And the word of God is his message to us. Whatever God wants to reveal, he has revealed in the Bible. And so we must turn to scripture during a crisis for our solution. Right? Turn to crisis. The scripture says in 2 Peter 1 verse 19. It is called, you know the Bible is called the Old Testament. It's a testimony of what God did in the past. The New Testament. A testimony. New testimony. Uh, Right? 2 Peter 1 verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word made for sure. To which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the days day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. So we need to look back at what God did to know that the same God who worked in the past, he will work in my present circumstances. Amen? But let me just, uh, next point is that God has a word for you in the midst of your crisis. So you have to pay attention. Because right in Joseph's prayer, God is going to respond. God is going to pray. In other words, God has a rhema word for you. Now, now the Logos word is what is there and written. But while you're reading the Logos word, there is a rhema word, a revealed word of God. God has a, a meaning that there's a specific word for you found in scripture. So you're going through something and you, and you read a scripture, but, but there's a specific thing that God wants to highlight and share with you from that particular scripture. He said there's a difference between a general and a specific word. The Bible gives general word, but the Bible also gives specific word. You see, you can't go to the Bible and ask it whether you should move overseas or stay in Jamaica because the Bible in general 
doesn't contain that answer. However, God can give you a Rima word which is more specific as to where you're supposed to live as you read the Logos word. M- make sense? Amen. So, so if you want to know if you're supposed to go overseas, don't flip your Bible and go, oops, oh, move from here. That's what some of us do. The Bible doesn't give specific answers for things like, like which purchase to make or which schedule to follow. However, it is the Holy Spirit's job to enlighten our minds and hearts and speak a specific word through the Bible as we read it. And perhaps there's a passage that you have read 200 times, but as the Spirit speaks to you, that passage takes on new light and speaks to your specific need and situation. Yes, you have read it, but this time it means, it means something different. This time it spoke to you in a different way. This time it touched a part inside of you that says, yes, I know that this is the Lord. Sometimes a passage will speak volumes to where you are in life. So you and I must be sensitive to the spirit. To know that God is speaking. In your crisis. You have to know what God is saying. So you can respond appropriately. God often uses sermons or messages. Just for you. That feeling that sermon was just for me. Maybe God speaking to you. Sometimes you come to church. And you say why well, I don't know who tell this man my business. I don't know who tell this woman my business. I can tell you who did. It was God who told them your business. So the Bible is a general word for you, but there are specific words as well. As you read, God will give you specific things. So in your crisis, always remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Come on, just say that with me. The battle belongs to the Lord. This that you're going through, it belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. If we would really live in this spiritual truth, we'll be better off. We must have a hands-off attitude. We need to hand things off to the Lord. Take, listen, we have the right songs and we sing them. But we don't do the right actions. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Don't take it to the Lord and then take it back. Hand it off. Give it to Him. You see, because we often shoulder things that were meant for Him to bear. He said, cast your cares on me. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. God wants to carry it. He wants to take it. God asks us to go, but says he will fight. When God fights, victory is assured. He has never lost a battle. Why would you go and fight when the person who wants to fight for you has never lost a battle? You know the story of David and Goliath? This is where Jehoshaphat was making reference from in 1 Samuel 17. You see, many of us are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Israel was once again in a crisis. They were being threatened by the Philistine army that was not only powerful, but had Goliath at the front. Young David went to Saul and accepted the challenge to fight Goliath. But David told Goliath, That the battle belongs to the Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people knew that the battle belonged not to the enemy, but to the Lord. When Jehoshaphat was speaking his words, he was standing in a long line of those who were confident, not in Israel or their own military strength, but confident in the Lord's power and promise. Listen, it testify. it's a testimony for you to let God fight for you. Because remember, the purpose of a crisis is so God can show his almighty power. That, that's part of the reason. And if you're going to fight, then God's power will not be on display. Sometimes you just need to turn up and let God. And let God. Uh, listen, you think David killed? David didn't kill Goliath. God did. 
Let me say it again. David didn't kill Goliath. God did. Because David told you who was going to do it before he did it. David said, this is not my battle. This is not my sling. This is not my stone. This is the Lord's battle. And God did it. God doesn't ask us to conquer things that only he can conquer. I don't know, um, most of you don't know the sports, but in American football, they, they have a, a quarterback, right? And um, let, me, let me see if I can give you a quick little quarterback um, lesson. Um, um, brother, uh, no, uh, 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 brother Kevin, come and help me. No, just give me a bottle of water. This, this looks like an American football. No, no, don't, don't. No, if you open it, we're going to have problems. There you go. All right. You need, you, need to, you need to stand somewhere not too far where you can catch this. I think you need to come over this side because I want to make sure when I'm throwing it, if you don't catch it, it don't eat anybody. So make sure you're in some blank space. All right. So, so say I am the quarterback, right? If I have the ball, right, if I have the ball, then everyone is going to come and tackle me. That's how the NFL is. They call it tackle. So, so this is the ball, and I'm the quarterback. There's a defensive line, and they break through. And they are coming to attack me. You know what I do as a quarterback? All right, he's kind of running in the wrong direction, but we... <laughs> he's going to scratch. But thank you, brother. But here's what happened. You know what happens? The moment I hand off the ball, the focus of the enemy shifts from me to the person who has the ball. I want, I, want, I want to get the picture of it. Your crisis is like that ball. And if you keep it, you are going to be attacked. So here's what, if you want to ease the attack, hand off the ball. You see what you're going through? You need to, come on, come on, just, just, just tell the person, just look at them and know we in mask and all, but just say, hand off the ball. Some of us are, we are running with this ball. And when all we have to do is to hand off the ball. So when the quarterback hand, had the football in his hand, the problem was his. But when he handed the ball off to a runner, the problem suddenly became the other guy's problem. The burden of running and holding on to the ball became the burden of the next guy. Hand the ball off to God and stop holding on to it and getting tackled by life. The reason why you're being tackled by life, why you're being knocked down by life, is because you're holding on to the ball. You have to hand the ball off. That's how you have to approach this life. Because our problem is that we often want to hold on to the ball and bear the burden. When God is able and ready to be handed the ball, he's waiting, he's saying that, pass the ball, throw it to me, throw it to me. I'm ready, cast it on me and I will take it. But, but, but I love what this end, right? I love what this end. Verse 17 to 20. You need not to fight in this battle. Hand the ball off. Take your position. Hand the ball off. Stand and watch the salvation of the Lord. In your behalf. In other words, when you pass the ball off, look what the next guy is going to do. You see, because this is how the game is. Remember, I'm here and I'm being attacked. It's the same people here who are going to have to move from here to catch the person that I'm going to hand the ball off to. So when I go this, he already has a head start. He's a way ahead at the game. He says, stand and watch and see the salvation. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them. For the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord. Worshipping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of, of Kohites. And from the sons of Korites stood up to praise the God of Israel with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, 
Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord and you will endure. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. But, but I love what it says. And they worship the Lord. Did anything change? Because nothing changed. Nothing changed until verse 20. But they didn't start praising in verse 20. From verse 17, the scripture said they started praising. Until the next morning they went out. In other words, it don't change yet. But I'm worshiping now. Listen, it don't change yet. But I'm praising God with a loud voice right now. Listen, uh, my biggest shout and my biggest worship is not when it is done. It's knowing that it is done. So when the enemy is coming, praise the Lord. Watch, the enemy is closing in. The scripture says, do not be dismayed. Scripture said to people, the enemy is coming. You know what they did? They bow down and they worship God. But the enemy is coming. What? Get up and fight. No, no, no. Worship God. Worship God. And when, when you have been overwhelmed, praise the Lord. When things don't look any better, praise the Lord. When you don't understand what go, what's going, um, understand what you're going through, praise the Lord. Don't get too sophisticated to bless the the, 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 the Lord. Praise Him in the morning. Praise Him at noontime. Praise Him when the sun goes down. The problem is not yours. The battle is the Lord. Once God is fighting, I am praising. Come on, just stand to your feet this morning and just begin to worship God. Maybe you're going through a crisis. Listen, with that, uh, just come on, just, just worship God. Just praise Him. With that song, it says, the battle belongs to the Lord. Some of us, we are waiting until... We, we, listen, I'm waiting until something happens. The scripture said, in, in, in the psalm, it speaks about the yet praise. I will yet praise you. It's saying that nothing has happened, but I will still praise you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. Because this battle is not mine. It's not my job anymore. I've passed the ball on. God, I will yet praise you. I will, because the battle belongs to the Lord. So when you wake up in the morning and you're in the midst of a crisis, you shout, Hallelujah! God, we bless you. God, I worship you. God, I exalt you. When, when you think like the news was going to be good and they call and they give you bad news, God, I worship you. God, I praise you. When you think like it's going to be a raise and the, the salary is reduced, God, I bless your name. God, I worship you. God, I praise you. When all the things are coming in and the enemy is getting closer, I, I don't stop and look at the enemy. I, my eyes are on you. If you shift the focus of your eyes, you will shift the focus of your praise. Because you always praise something or someone. And maybe you have been praising the wrong thing in your crisis because your eyes is in the wrong place. If you fix your eyes on Jesus, you will see the salvation of the Lord. And so we praise you, God. We praise you. We worship you. God, the battle belongs to you. So we hand the ball over to you. We hand the ball over to you, God. You keep it. You carry it, God. Come on, just lift your hands this morning. We bless your name, Jesus.